G'day beautiful people of the world, welcome once again to Stacks Podcast. Now, you're not going to believe who I've got in here today, um, a very good friend of mine, yeah I know, I say it every time, hey, look, sue me, hey, uh, a very good friend of mine, all the way from down Frio, just a little bit of background on this fella, um, I went and watched him play and was absolutely uh, in love with uh, what he does and he's he's a, a fella who still tells a story in his music. Um, very, uh, very good at getting across what he's all about through his music. And and I found out after getting to chat to uh, this gentleman that there's just so more other facets about this man which absolutely interested me. So I'd like to welcome to the podcast probably our most, uh, I'm going to say, decorated musician to a degree and uh, a guy with a, a great story to tell. Please make him welcome, Mr. David Mercy. <laughs> how are you Dave good to uh, good to see you at the studios for Stacks podcast mate yeah, wonderful to be how the, here Thanks. how the hell are you being great mate very busy but uh, having a great time and uh, enjoying everything enjoying everything everything mate um, <laughs> mate you just done a DVD we have that you uh, recorded what back in May was it March it was March, March was it this year yep yeah. uh, DVD live DVD of a, a show we did at the Ellington Jazz Club in Perth how good's that place Fantastic, incredible. Something about it, like it's so intimate. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. you know, you go to places. I, I guess you would have it as a musician too. When, when you're really trying to sell your soul, not sell your soul, but you're pouring your soul out, and the bastards are on mobile phones, <laughs> or chatting, a, or it's chatting to Les about yeah. how many fucking holes he dug that week. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, and you're going, yeah. "Hang on, guys!" I'm, you know, like you yeah. don't even care. Like That's you're right. pouring it out. What, no, uh, it's a rare and unique experience to be able to play there. But you go there and everyone takes a seat mm. and, and they're there to do just that, to mm. listen, yep. to convey the stories, mm. to listen mm. and to really what drink you in. Yep, yep. And uh, I played there again just the other night actually and there was a great little photo someone took and sent me of uh, after the show, um, I played a new song about a town called Yalgoo, which is... 400 k's north of Perth and it was about my grandparents meeting there in the early 30s I remember that song yeah, yeah. So, so what your grandfather moved was it he moved up that way well, both yeah my, in, in 1931 Yalgoo was a, a mining town there's nothing there now much I think it's got a population of 22 people now but back then uh, there was 30 40,000 people there it was a mining gold mining town big railway line went through and my grandmother, who was an Italian uh, girl, she was 21, she'd graduated as a teacher and was sent up there to teach at the school on her own. And uh, Was she fairly fresh from Italy? Uh, no, she'd been here since her teen years, so she came as a teenager. Yep. And um, she, uh, so yeah, she was, she was very Italian and all my childhood she spoke Italian and cooked pasta and, you know. <laughs> uh, so she went up there 21 years old on her own. And uh, this town, I can imagine, would have been just just booming and full of men mainly. You know, wouldn't have been many women around. Certainly not single women. And she was twenty-one. My grandfather was thirty-three. He was a postmaster there, running the post office. And they met. And um, anyway, so the song 
was about them. And uh, at the end of the show the other night at the Ellington, uh, this really old guy came out to the stage. And one of the beautiful things at the Ellington is how close the audience are. We were talking about this before. They're literally two feet from your feet. And um, I finished, and we finished with that song, and I told the story about the song, and, and this old boy came up to me, and he said, oh, your family from Yalgoo? I said, well, some of them spend some time there. He goes, my family from Yalgoo. And, um, you know, he grew up there as a kid. And... Um, Someone took a photo of it, of me leaning down and shaking hands with this guy and talking to him. And then the next day someone said, oh, do you know who that was? And I said, no, I don't. And that was Twiggy Forrest's father. Wow. Uh, or, sorry, father-in-law, I think. Wow. But, you know, and we just had this great conversation. And again, it was one of those moments where he didn't know anything about me, I didn't know anything about him, but the music just... Did you get a chance to ask him if he knew your grandparents? I did. He yeah, he, he asked me the names and I said, he, he, no, he was there probably in the 40s and 50s, so he was there later and didn't, didn't know him. But, um, and just geographically for yeah. those that listen over east as well, yeah. Yalgu is where in relation to Perth? So it is 400 kilometres northeast, so it's inland. It's their, their, um, their town motto on a sign there now is where the outback begins. And um, so it's 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 about three hundred k's inland from the coast. And Jeez, I thought it was, was Gerald. Yeah, it's inland of Geraldton, <laughs> straight inland of Geraldton, about three hours. Oh, so like towards Mount Augusta or further again? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know Mount Augusta, but and and the name of the town Yalgu is from Yalguru, which is means blood by the local the local Aboriginal um, people there call it blood. So a lot of the themes and, and lyrics in the song come from that that language and that story about where the outback begins so did you get to find out why they called it blood no, no. I if it, yeah it'd be no. quite an interesting story i guess yeah, why, yeah. Why what happened there whether it was a place because where... i know that in um, the culture and i've spent a lot of time amongst yeah. some indigenous cultures up yeah. north some of the uh the ritualism does involve a lot of bloodletting mm. um, it also involves a lot of uh Scarification, yep. cutting yep. of the of the genital areas, and yeah, I, uh, I got a feeling Yalguru. It might be something to do with. I think there's a lot of those red gum trees that emit uh, that sap that looks like blood. Yep. Yeah. I think uh, I'm planning. We're going to record that song this year, and I want to go and do a film clip there at Yal at Yalgoo. Wow. And film it on site and really learn, learn a bit more about the place. Cause I'll, I've never, I've I'll pack me bags, Dave. Yeah, no, you'll be, you'll be coming to film it, I hope, um, definitely. Um, yeah, and I and I found, a, as often with songwriting, you know, I love to, I'm like a magpie, I steal stuff, and as everyone does, I guess, but I was trying to find a line about the two of them courting and meeting, and I imagined them having to sneak out of town, you know, and get away from all the prying eyes and the gossip, you know. And why do you think that was? Why, why couldn't they court? Is there was there a reason, or do you think? I mean, I don't know if they could. Just... It's my imagination, but that's oh, that's okay. what I think when I when I wrote the song and I think of them there, and I know they were both kind of very private people, so yeah. they weren't they weren't. Um, and right. I suppose public displays of affection back in those days was taboo. I never saw them show any affection through my whole childhood wow. to each other, even though I'm sure they were very close. They were together for. 55 years and had four kids and, you know, went through some tough times. So. I guess that was the era as well. It was, you know. Um, people were different then. and um, Yeah, so that's that's my imagination from seeing them later as a child. 
of what it, they would have been like. They would have been very private about it as they were. And what did you call like, the song that you wrote about this? Yeah, so I called it Yao Guru. Yep. I took that that Aboriginal word because the main chorus is Yao Guru means blood, and uh, that that to me was a great image, you know. And if you get a chance, yeah, to to see the DVD mm-hmm. and look, I encourage everybody out there to. If you're into Australia singing songwriting at its best, if you like a uh, folky country type of feel, um, Dave's definitely worth having a look at. And and on this DVD, you encourage a bit of audience participation as well. You get them involved. Yeah, on a couple of songs and um, on another song called Janoni, which actually leads from this one we're just Sorry, talking about. Sorry, that's the one I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah, it's one that leads to the one we're talking about. Um, it goes back a step in time because the... My grandmother, Meg, her surname was Janoni, and this was these were the Italians who came out in the late 1890s, so her grandparents um, from uh, the north of Italy. Yeah, so there's a song about them in there as well, on the album and on the DVD. And that's a great one, we get the audience. And I remember when we were recording it with the producer, James Gillard, and we, we sat down and we were listening to it all play back when it was finished, and we said, you know, man, it'd be great if we could imagine at a live show getting the audience to sing that intro. And um, then when I launched it in December at Clancy's, I, I, I said, we'll do that. And the band, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Time for the work. But we did it. And it, I think you were there, Joy. And yeah. it, um, it was a great thing. So now we try and do that each time. And I've, and that's something about the Ellington in particular, that, you know, having the audience so close and so intimate and so involved to be able to sing the song with you is a wonderful thing. I, f- I find with that that intro as well, it kind of... It's a simple melody which has a certain familiarism about it, mm. but it, when I listen to it, it seems really, it seems correct for the era. Yeah, I think we're thinking late eighteen hundreds. Yeah. It's that sea shanty kind of. Yes, sound but then it's got it, this, and I imagine someone standing on a boat, leaving their shore, yeah, yeah. not knowing what they're, yeah. and there was a whole different world yeah. back then, you know, not knowing where they're going. Yeah. Maybe they heard about it from somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not, and and then, but also what's on their mind to leave everything they know yeah. and love behind yeah. on an adventure of the unknown. Mm, mm. Man, heavy times back yeah. then. You know, like. I think that, that that chorus or that sound also, in my mind when I hear it, harks back to almost that the slave kind of stuff and the, and the, and the, the American Negro chain gangs had those chants and songs they'd sing as well that were very simple like that when I hear the crowd singing it it reminds me a bit of that too I just twigged to that when we were doing it the other night Um, I hadn't thought of it in that way before but yeah it's I'm a fan of a guy called John Hartford and he Mm. featured heavily he was a violin player predominantly but could play everything bluegrass and all that kind of stuff now he he features a little bit in the music on that Oh Brother Where Art Thou film Mm. um with Dan Tominski and Ron Block and a few other artists, which I'm, I'm a massive fan of. Mm. He, uh, do, he, he he does some tribute stuff back to those, you know, days of early cotton yeah. farming and yep. and, he, and he captured some of the old... Uh, he would go out and record some of the guys out there on the fields yeah. Yeah. and then would use that for his rhythms. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. amazing how that sort of come through. And you're right, mm. it's sort of very... I don't know, call and answer type, type mm. sort of thing. Yeah, but, but the melody's everything in it. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I absolutely love that song. It's yeah, one of great. my favourites. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, so um, Dave, you grew up in Freo. 
as a young bloke, mate, what, you, you talk a lot in your music about growing up around Frio and running mm. amok down there, getting yeah. on your bike and taking yeah. off. And mm. you mentioned stuff about not having to come home until dark. And yeah, yeah, how, how things have changed, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. In fact, my earliest childhood was uh, it was in Warwick in the northern suburbs, and then we, we moved down to Frio later. And the, and then yeah, it was all just bush and wilderness, and and having that freedom. And I see it now. I've got kids of my own, and you know, my son's thirteen, and I. I often talk about and and mourn the fact that my kid, my kids and kids where I live now in Fremantle, you don't see kids out on the street. There's no kids riding their bikes. There's no kids running amuck in the river, fishing and canoeing and lighting fires and all the stuff that I just would have been bursting to do if I'd lived where they do now. Well, we're kind of told not to now. I know. You know there's like a whole society of fear and paranoia and restrict restriction in everything that, you know like uh, you get pulled up in a canoe like, have you got a life jacket yeah, yeah. is it registered I know. all the bullshit exactly. yeah, <laughs> Just... all the bullshit would come in <laughs> yeah. exactly did you wear your helmet when you rode down here yeah, you know? yeah I know. god's sake when we were kids on our bikes we'd be we'd be setting up ramps and j- lying 10 of your mates down there and flying <laughs> over the top of them sometimes on fire you know <laughs> and uh Helmet was the last thing in your mind. You know, I remember we had a, where I grew up. I grew up the east coast in a little yeah. little country town as well. I remember the council put in a BMX track, and mm. oh, it was on from then. Yeah, geez, I tell you what, if they if they had legislation now where they were responsible for any injuries at that BMX track, <laughs> I think that would square away a few countries' deficit. Because <laughs> oh, every week there was someone busting Tons. an arm or breaking yeah. a leg or Absolutely. you yeah. know stitches here and stitches you know, there. Well, and we all survived, and um, we were better for it. I reckon. Uh, that's that's to me now both socially and, and in my work as well the the over administration of society and the restrictive of restrictiveness of it is something that really gets me and um and that's something where the music is good because it kind of breaks that down again as well there can't be rules and is it bu- is it a bureaucratical answer to creating jobs i think so yeah there's a lot of people employed doing bugger all I mean, I've worked in the government sector, yeah. and I just went, yeah. "What are you guys doing?" Yeah, I, c- I couldn't, I couldn't explain it. You no. know, like, yeah. As people who are paid to meet now, all they do is meet. They have a meeting, and the rest of the week they have to sit at a computer and work out what the hell they can talk about at the next meeting. I'm convinced <laughs> of it. That's their job. <laughs> now, Dave, you work. You're a yeah. surgeon. That's true. And and, That's true. and you work obviously in the medical field. Being a surgeon, mm. do you find that happens as well? Do you have people that that really I mean, I guess you would. You're dealing with people sometimes in in, in a critical way, and mm. and I guess do you find that um, does does that carry right through all all types of employment? Do you think? And, oh, absolutely. And the way we think these oh, days. Oh, the health the health service is you know rife with this stuff. Yeah. Um, these people who, like I said, paid to meet. You see them all. And it's very distressing. You know, they take. Um, over the last 20 years, there's been this huge migration of nurses, very experienced, fantastic nurses who used to work on wards and teach other nurses and actually look after patients. Now, all those best senior nurses sit in offices behind computers, wearing suits. They work from 9 till 3.30. They get paid twice what they did to work, actually, as a nurse. Yeah, yeah. And they destroy the system. You know, all they do is uh, develop protocols. Yep. They're constantly in fear of doing the wrong thing from the ones above them. Yeah, I think and that's a, a real that's shame. a blueprint for a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. that's and almost the same. They don't, they don't create anything good out of that, and in fact, everyone loses through that. The nurses themselves, the patients certainly, 
There's more the cost involved. Yeah. It's far more costly. You need to you need to house area for these people to be able to work. Absolutely. And, uh, you yeah. know. Do you think it'll ever get back? Do you think it can ever get back to a simplistic? I think only by the total, and, and not total just the collapse. medical world, also yeah. just things in general. Do you I think, think if it totally collapses, then they rebuild it. That's the only way I can see it. You know. So you think like a, a whole people aren't going to new accept. world order just comes in and wipes things out? I don't see how people will accept, uh, you know, sacking all these people. You know, you'd have 30% unemployment in Australia if you got rid of every dickhead who sits at a computer and doesn't contribute anything. Yeah, I know. Uh, they have to find actual jobs for people. Well, yeah. I mean, I worked I, I worked for the government sector too. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story that'll, that'll really touch in on, on this, what I'm about to say, and that is... Uh, I was working up north. Now, I'd fly out to a, to a community, an Indigenous community that was locked by water in the wet season, had to fly in on a Robinson 22. Mm. And I'd walk out there and I'd go, G'day, Trevor, how you going, mate? Yeah, good. Now, Trevor's 22 years old, he's an Indigenous Australian, been living on the land for years. There's nothing within 600 kilometres of, of his community. Mm. Um, there's a few cattle farmers out that way. And Trevor's one of 430 people living on this particular community. I'd walk out there and it was government protocol to say, yeah, g'day, Trev, mate. And now listen, have you been looking for work? (laughs) 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 Now, Trevor would sit back and go, well, ah, yeah, like I've been... (laughs) Because he knew he had to say yes. If he says no, (laughs) his money was cut off and he would actually use that to support his family and to... He's, and he'd get out and he would save a bit and he'd get, go to footy and yeah. take himself to an Eagles game occasionally. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, like, and, and, and kudos to him, man. You know, yeah, like, it's, yeah, yeah. what's he going to do out there, you know? Yeah. And then, because, and, and I mean, we're probably opening a can of worms, but the government created this system, took away their self supportiveness to a mm-hmm. degree, and then mm-hmm. sending blokes like me up there to turn around and say, So, Trev, you've been looking for work, old mate. <laughs> well, I, yeah, it, it spun me out to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, and uh, it was a crap. That's what goes on. That's what goes on. You know, yeah. I certainly see that in my field all the time. Uh, uh, it drives me crazy. Yeah, am I right? You're not a proctologist, is that it? No, I'm certainly not. No, I'm a urologist. Urologist. Yep. So, I mainly work with people with cancer. Yep. Uh, kidney cancer, prostate cancer. Those are the main ones. Um, yeah. So it's. I had an uncle actually that just had a kidney removed due to uh, due to a tumor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, mate. Is there anything you could say to anyone listening as advice? There's a good, a good thing to do for your body to, to to help. Is there something that people do that's wrong that really brings on these symptoms? Is there? Would it be alcohol or? I think yeah, it's hard to know. It's a, it's a question I get asked ten times a day. I bet. Yeah. Why did I get this cancer? And and people are disappointed with my answer, which is I don't know. It's probably a combination of lots of little things you've done, including, you know, your genetics, which you can't do much about. And then every little thing that assaulted your DNA from the first day you were born or even before you were born. That's a good point. You know, constantly hitting your DNA and one day a cell gets triggered and becomes a cancer. That's what cancers are. And it's mutations of cells that, that develop cancer, isn't mm, it? It's a, yeah. a mutation of a cell. So it's just a cell that loses the normal control mechanisms that control how fast it divides or whether it stays where it is or travels somewhere else. They're the things that define a cancer. So. Wow. I had this conversation in Japan recently about there's a, a massive level of cancer in internal organs. Uh, there's a, it leads the way for breast cancer mm. in, in the world per yeah. capita. Um, now, my theory was when I went to Japan, I felt that I was always in a constant field of radiation due mm. to microwaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was always neon signs, technology, mm. 
radio waves, everything is digital, uh, and it was just a bombardment of it. There was not a lot of natural things, environmental. Yeah. Now, when you get out to... It's funny because the Japanese actually are known to live the longest, so you yeah. go to rural parts of Japan and the, and the average age is 103 or something <laughs> crazy. Right. You move into the city and it, and it really yep. rapidly reduces. Mm. So the theory I had was is that the radio waves and that that are passing through our body all the time, mm, mm. would it affect us on a molecular level? Yeah. And that could be the, the trigger for mutation of, of cancerous cells. Yeah, well, certainly radiation of all types is definitely a potential contributor to cancer. And, you know, there's some, some cancers are definitely caused by, by that. So in Japan, as a good example, you know, when there was nuclear uh, exposure through the Nagasaki and Hiroshima, yeah. A lot of thyroid cancer in particular and leukaemia, blood cancers, directly caused by the people who got... The people who got intense doses obviously died very quickly, but the people peripherally who got smaller amounts developed these sort of particular cancers that are very clearly due to radiation. Yeah, and, uh, and I wonder if that's now going to happen now with uh, Saitama and with uh, Fukushima You'd be as well, concerned but... that it will, yeah, yeah, no doubt it will. And... Um, you know, so uh, yeah, it's interesting with Japanese too. The other thing they have is they have the highest rate of stomach cancer, which is quite a rare cancer around the world. Japan, it's one of the most common cancers. Yeah, uh, is there something stomach people that naturally think maybe it's diet because it's the first port of call well, for I what you eat? I can tell you right, right now and, that uh, <laughs> from experience, yeah. they don't cook much. No. <laughs> like they, they eat a lot of stuff raw. And, yeah, and so is there something dietary that causes that, or is it nothing to do with diet? It's the other thing, I always again, uh, I think people get disappointed and maybe a bit annoyed with me when. What caused my cancer? Or they, or they've had a cancer. I've got rid of it, and they'll say, "Okay, now what do I have to change about my diet to stop myself getting cancer?" And I go, "Look, your diet. I really don't know. There's plenty of people who made a lot of money selling books telling you about diet, but yeah. in fact, there's no evidence about anything to do with your diet being good, bad, or otherwise. It's certainly in terms of cancer. Yeah, obviously, you're not going to eat bloody cadmium and lead and shit like that. But if you're eating normal food, there's not there's no evidence that picks out any factor in that diet that says this is the thing that causes cancer and this protects against it but there's a huge industry around that yeah um you know selling people supplements and dietary products and books and bloody well, one thing i've been looking right into of late yeah. is the relationships between ca- cannabinoids and yeah and pain relief from cancer which yeah. They've dabbled with it in in the states and i'm a yeah. i'm a fan of the joe rogan podcast and he's an advocate for it mm. uh and whether or not it actually has some benefits, but yeah. once again, it's it's just another one in this long chain of yeah. of supposedly. And again, <laughs> probably depends how you're taking your cannabis, you know, because it's gonna if you're smoking it, there's definitely a strong association more so than with tobacco, or at least as high as with tobacco with lung cancer. And so there's a, there's a thing that not so a lot of people will admit to they no, but it's it's there's good evidence to support that. I think. Yeah. So, you know, or everything's got a pro and a con to it. You that's know? it, mate. Yeah, I think uh, just do your best while you're here. Yeah, that's it. Enjoy yourself, I reckon. Yeah. Do everything in moderation and bloody keep smiling. Yeah, just get call. on with it, you know. Dave, something I wanted to ask you about was, uh, mate, you travel a lot. Um, you've done a bit of work over in India yes. and places like that. Yep. Tell us a bit about that place. Tell me about what, what you love about the joint. India's very interesting. I've been there three times in the last three years now and um, to work, uh, doing some particular types of surgery there and um, you know it's one of those places I I, I um, and maybe in fact the other side of my family apart from the Italians there is some Indian heritage really my 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 on my mother's side her 
her father was a British Army officer in the Gurkha Regiment in in India, in the north of India, and uh, he met and married my maternal grandmother there. And she was uh, she was a D'Souza. She was descended from I think people had originally come from Burma, then into India. So my my grandmother, um, who recently died last year, she speaks or spoke with quite a strong Indian accent. Cooked curries all the time. <laughs> had the head wobble, you know. <laughs> uh, her favourite expression: "I'm not an Indian. Don't be ridiculous, you know." <laughs> Uh, so she and her brother-in-law who's still alive is an incredible guy Earl he's very you know if you met him you'd think he was definitely Indian he looks in there and he speaks with an Indian accent and there's a great photo of him at home sitting on a this um, he was in the Indian uh, military police in the 40s and 50s so there's a great photo of him sitting on the um, on the Indian motorbike with his turban on and his uniform and did he have the uh, the moustache? He did have the moustache, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so first time I went to India three, four years ago, I, I went there. I was a bit anxious, you know, going and landing in um, in Mumbai, Bombay, and thinking, gee, you know, this this could be pretty full on. And I stepped out and I had a friend who was there who was going to meet me, and, but he was a bit late. As soon as I stepped out of the airport doors and just breathed it in, I just loved it instantly. I could just tell. I must admit, I've never this been was a there. Great Can place. you describe... You know, yeah. it wasn't like, you know, I've been to Bali and Mexico and Turkey and some other places that are pretty rough. Yeah. And you step out and they, and you feel a bit anxious. Even in Bali, I reckon there's... There's a the particular scent when you get off the There's a foreignness to it and there's a, there's a sort of a... I don't know, I feel a little bit intimidated when I first get to those places. It takes me a day or two to adjust or a few hours well, at I least. I found Jakarta just pungent. Yeah. I went there and the, the, it was a pungent... Yeah, yeah. It was India just felt warm and there was this fragrant air like, I don't know, cinnamon or something, some really nice scent to the air and I walked out and people were really nice. There was this beautiful breeze and it was warm and it just, the thing was beautifully tiled and nice and clean and it just felt fantastic and I just felt like I was at home straight away and Brilliant. could easily stay there. Did you get to the Ganji? Did you? I didn't get there. No, no. I, I was in. I, I yeah, I've only seen a tiny bit of the country, really. I, I, I go to work in a place called Pune, which is about, um, oh, it's a four to five hour drive from Mumbai. Um, it's a place where the, the wealthy of Mumbai used to go when the monsoon was on to get into the hills where it was a bit cooler, and they had they had this sort of escape. Uh, there were their their refuge houses there. Um, so I've only seen that little. Mumbai a bit, and then this Pune I've seen quite a bit of now, but um, it in itself is amazing. You know, it's a it's a small city of I think fourteen million or something. That's you know just a small provincial town. <laughs> Jesus, that's, that's four fifths of Australia. <laughs> that's, that's wow, incredible. Yeah, yeah. What I'm just trying to think roughly their population. They haven't quite. Have they cracked a billion? I think they're in very close, India? if not. Yeah, I think, I think China, just on and, a China and India are the two big ones. I think they're ones, on a billion. And, um, and yeah. what's remarkable there to me is the people, and there's a great lesson for us here, you know, because there's so many bloody people there, they just have to get on. They have to get on. They have to make way for each other. They have to consider each other every minute of every day. So yeah. in, whether it's in the traffic or on a footpath or in a queue in a shop or anything like that, they've got to consider. And so a great example is the... 
the hospital. I go to work in a small hospital there with a guy, Sanjay Kulkarni, who's a, a very famous now, now famous surgeon, but he, um, he and his wife run this small hospital. And, you know, they, this guy's, this guy gets invited around the world to speak at the biggest conferences and he's world renowned as a surgeon in his field. But when he's at home, he has this clinic basically and he opens the doors each day and people are waiting and they come in and he sees them and they're diagnosed and if they need an operation they go upstairs have their operation that day and often they'll go home the next day and at the end of it you know the question of money comes up but it's only whatever that person can afford and I've seen people hold out you know equivalent of three bucks oh here's, here's my payment it's all I've got and, and he'll go keep it for your lunch and your bus fare you know don't worry about it. And then, but then a wealthy guy will fly in from the Middle East to have his surgery, and he might pay him fifty thousand US dollars for his treatment. And that's what keeps it all running. So there's this amazing cooperation, even at that level. I mean, there there a culture that 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 believes heavily in karma. So, Absolutely. So, so I guess after, karma yeah. is looking after yeah, yeah. the cause. It was. I remember there was. Remember in, in Perth there was that restaurant that they had around about the bell tower. Somewhere. Yeah, the Anna Lakshmi. It's still there. Oh, it's still there. Yeah. Where you you pay what you thought, whatever you think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's great. I remember another time we were having a meeting there and um, they wanted to set up some audio-visual stuff to beam live surgery from the theatre, operating theatre, to the conference centre, which was five k's away. And they came and set up and I'm talking to the guys and they walked in with this huge optical cable, you know, and they're setting up the cameras and they, they're really good. And they, I've got some great photos of it and they put the cable down the stairs and out the window and then they, they've got these wire hooks like coat hangers and they hook it through a tree and across and then they get to a road and they shove it through a little culvert under the road. <laughs> now I'm knock on someone's door, oh, I've got to put this optical cable through. Oh, so they've run the cable 5K? Yeah, 5K of cable. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, we've got to put this... Uh, Nothing was transmitted. It was nah, all... Optical cable. Wow. Uh, so, excuse me, sir, we've got to put this through your house. But that's fine. <laughs> Open up the window, it's looping through someone's bloody lounge room for the weekend while they do this thing. <laughs> Fantastic, you know, and they go back and wind it all back up at the end and take it away. And you're right in saying that, because if you'd done that here in Perth, I'd be like, oh, oh, piss Jesus, off, mate. the permits and the bullshit that were yeah, going, you can go near it. Well, you're going to put this across my house, yeah. piss off, you know. Yeah. Get out of here. Crazy. So that's, that, I just love the place, you know, I love that. that, that sense I must, of cooperation. I, I, I find that in Japan too, such a small island nation with so many people and you're right they get on because it's just the way of life mm. because it's the way it is mm. and and to take a leaf out of their book look yeah. I, I find myself are you one of those blokes and i think you are do you tend to sort of say good day to people as they're walking down the street yeah. oh g'day mate there you go yeah 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 i, I do that Poor and, and, and i must, <laughs> must admit the amount of weird looks i get from people yeah oh hang on oh g'day yeah. hang on yeah. hey g'day mate there you go <laughs> And, and and I've been looked at quite a few times like this. Mm. You, you know, like, yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's strange, no. like. Yeah, we'll change. I think we'll have to change. No, it's not, one thing. I'm not changing. No, I'm no, not changing. No, I mean our country. If we get more populated, which is what they're pushing for and the way it's heading, we'll have to get more tolerant of each other. I think we're one of the most selfish countries on Absolutely. the planet. Absolutely, and, and I think, I think we follow we, can a, be. we follow an American role. Well, yeah. we're a British colonised country, although I think 30 years ago with the invent of popularised television and our gravitational pull mm. towards American programs mm -hmm. and sitcoms, that we've become more American than English. Although I find when I go to America, that they're so generous and helpful as well, much more than here, yeah. and more courteous and polite. 
Yeah. Almost, it almost hits you as a bit fake sometimes there. Yeah, right. Yeah. They're really sincere about it, but they are. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's a guard we've put up because we're a product of our environment. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think we're, well, particularly living somewhere like Perth, you know, if you pan back on the planet, we're incredibly isolated and, and therefore we're hanging on by the... <laughs> one fingernail to our existence probably here, clinging onto the edge of the earth. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what my opinion is, but I kind of feel that Perth people feel that they're kind of they do have that secular feeling, but mm. they they kind of feel that they're kind of a level above or special sometimes, you know. Yeah, and, maybe. You know, like there's not as much, and I guess that's what it is. We're not as humble yeah. as a lot of other places around. Yeah. And is that because Perth? I mean, if you took everybody that was, wasn't born out in Perth and, and sent them all out of the state, mm. I think the state would have about probably 25,000 people in it. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and I think those people are okay. I think those people that were born in Perth, I mean, you, you're born and bred here yeah, in WA yeah, and you're, yeah. you're one of these blokes yeah. that says g'day to people walking <laughs> yeah. down the street. But I think the influx of a lot of people into Perth and mm. it's kind of like a, we had that iron ore boom which kind mm. of the population went bang yeah. in Perth. And I guess that's, but then we became secular within, mm. oh, that's English and, oh, they're Indian and mm, there's mm. the Asian factor and mm, mm. so we don't really, you know, mm. mix it up so much. Yeah, but maybe we've just got to wait a generation with the kids in school mm. coming through. Maybe. And uh, they're all thrown into the melting pot there, yeah. so maybe yeah. we're just a generation will be fine again. So. That's right. I think it'll, it'll sort itself out. Yeah. Mate, you're a bit of an avid fan of your guitars. Tell me mm. a little bit about... Some of the favourite guitars you got. I noticed you got that old Gibson. What year was it? Nineteen thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Yeah. How old would that make it in two thousand and sixteen? Forty sixty-six. Eighty-nine years 89 old. Eighty-nine years old. Yeah. Wow. It plays be- plays beautiful. Plays beautifully. Yeah. Uh, res- rescued it from the tip, almost not quite from the tip, but um, yeah, it was. Uh, was lying in its case uh, with a guy who uh, had inherited it from his grandmother and didn't really know what it was. He knew it was a Gibson. He'd worked that out and then it probably had some value, but um, wasn't wasn't a musician and it was in pretty poor state of repair at the time. So uh, we brought it back to life and uh, it's it's a wonderful thing now. I'm very privileged to have it. It's certainly a favourite of mine. And yeah, I love thinking about the. It was, it was left in Fremantle by a. a an American submariner in the 40s. So, uh, I love thinking about him playing it on his submarine as he's going across the ocean. Wouldn't have, had, wouldn't have been allowed to bring much else, probably. No, I'm actually wondering if he bought that with him because he would have sailed across naturally. Mm. Um, mm. It would have taken him. I've done some research about it. They were allowed a bit of stuff back then. Yep. Um, they actually, the submarines had a bit more capacity, a bit more room and things than modern day, and they actually could bring a bit of gear. Uh, and yeah. I think you said in one of the stories he, he had two guitars mm. don't know what happened to the other one the other one well the guy was selling as well as a Hawaiian guitar I didn't buy it I didn't really know much about it what it was in retrospect probably should have grabbed it but interesting thing with that it was a very ornate Hawaiian guitar and it um, it was in good nick but it was also it was in a it was in a box that looked like a coffin made of ship's plywood marine ply uh, painted that sort of um, 
gunship grey or that battleship oh, grey. So almost like a stencil uh, artillery with, box. Stencil with the guy's initials and his, I guess, his serial number on them. So it obviously be made by the ship's carpenters or someone for his guitar. Yeah, wow. so... Yeah, did you ever find? Did you ever find out the name of the submariner who owned it? Did you no, get that far? I'm trying to. I'm still trying to find it. I'm trying to uh, through the guy who um, who uh, sold it to me. I'm I'm trying to find out. But I have actually. I'm in the process of writing a song about the guitar and the story behind it, and uh, that's led me to some really interesting stories about Fremantle and the war and the interaction between the submariners and the and the locals here. Well, I think the girls in particular would have been very smitten by the accent. Absolutely. And, and, I and must all have... the young guys from here were away, so there were no young men. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, not many. And then all these charming, handsome guys came into town with plenty of money. Yep. Um, and free time and, you know. And would have been lonely. And... Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. Know, and charming. And uh, so, yeah, it, I, you know, the story that goes with that thing is amazing to me. Well, I just love, I'm, I'm a history buff. Like, I, yeah. I love... I don't know if it was yours telling a while back how I found a, a particular box in a deceased estate oh, yeah, that I was taking care of. Yeah, and, I, and yeah. I found this thing about this Barbara Meldrum and yeah. then trace back that the Meldrums were the ones that, uh, they were the original jewellers in Perth and mm. they started the Argyle Diamond mm. Mines and all that kind yeah. of stuff for their jewellery and, and they sort of kicked that off with a few other people and mm. uh, she travelled the world and had all this white line. I've still got it all. I, I, I must show you. I yeah, must show you at some yeah. point. All this white line travel yeah, documents and, yeah. and old postcards from 1927 wow, and wow. Uh, years like that. And it's just mm. amazing to read through. It's amazing. I, yeah. I can't let it go. It's, no, uh, no. Uh, that's, that's incredible. It's just something that was, it was in the bin ready to go. Jeez. And I just had, had people. And, and you just think to yourself, how many other Gibsons throughout the world have been binned? Mm. Or how many artifacts like that, which mm. somebody may have, you know. Yeah. And, and I, I guess I've. I've worked with some old people in in the way that I work for my brother who took care of deceased estates, and mm. um, they just don't really want the clutter. But that mm. clutter can have so much history, and I Gold, must admit yeah. you got to yeah. declutter sometimes. But yeah. yeah, when I find stuff like that, old timer box is another one yeah. that sort of come from a a deceased estate. You wow. know, like I just can't let something. I'm obsessed start. by that show, American Pickers. Last thing at night, <laughs> yeah. I usually watch a half an hour of that. I love it. Yeah. I love that show. Yeah, just the amount of That'd barns around the things. I would love to do that, what they do. Yeah, well, I reckon you could almost do stuff. a WA Pickers. You could I've, do a WA Pickers. I've, I've travelled the I state. I see places down south sometimes. I'm driving through some of the blocks inland of Margaret's and that. You see these farms with all the broken down old trucks and stuff, and you think they're bit, there's some gold. Well, there was, a, there was a deceased estate that was around uh, Clovelly or somewhere down south. Mm. Uh, Prevelli, sorry, um, somewhere yeah. down south. It was around that area, around that Margaret River area. And in the shed, he had about eight or nine cars that were worth now $100,000. Wow. Yeah. There were things like he had an old XU1 Tirana and, a, yeah. and, a, and an XY oh. GT Falcon. Wow. <laughs> and then before that, he had sort of like, a, like a Model T Ford and mm. an original sort of old, I think it was a Mon- Monaro, and he loved these old muscle cars and that. And the guy obviously had them and just mm. stacked them in the shed. Wow. No one knew about it because he had a lot of land. And then... Yeah. It was his hobby to tinker with these things. Well, he's passed away. The wife, to them, it was just a car. Yeah. And she's then when she's passed away, they've come in and do the, they've found these you know five cars sitting in this garage, mm. and and that's got all all around Australia. So not only that, old Indian bikes and BSA bikes, and you know even things like old signs. Yeah, just yeah. shit people keep in their garage. Yeah, yeah, I think there's room for an Australian. There we go. There you go. Giant Dave, Australian Pickers. Get a van and off we go. I'm in. I'm in. Got the van. Take the guitar. (laughs)
man, play a few gigs on the way around. That'd be horrible. That'd be great. That'd be terrible. <laughs> And we just, if only we knew a guy that could film it. Yeah. Yeah, and produce it. I mean, yeah, that's the trick. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be brilliant. Let's do it. Yeah. Hey, um, Dave, I can see you getting tired, mate. Now you've got to mm. shoot off and get to work early, so mm. we'll wrap it up pretty quick. But, okay, but firstly, thanks a lot for coming in to Stacks. Mm. Uh, what I'm going to do for you folks is I'm going to attach an MP3 to of a girl by the name of Belle Harvey, who, you, who you've done a bit of work with. Um, I think you've played on the same bill as Bell. Mm. Um, about the Ellington, actually. I've got, yeah, Bell talking about her guitars as well. So cool. I'll, I'll attach that MP3. Dave, can we listen to some of your music on this, mate? Would you let sure. us... Will you give us a song we could listen to? Yeah, sure, sure. What, what would you like it to be? What can the folks at home um, listen to uh, you in action, mate? Mm. Something off your album. Okay. Um, what about... Uh, Songs are on that album. <laughs> I'm trying to yeah, think I was thinking myself. Albums. I was thinking, of what's on it? <laughs> I was thinking of that song, Whiskey and Water, but that's not on that album, is it? It's on the one before. You could put that up though. That's definitely on the uh, on the it, DVD. It's on the DVD. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd like something off your off your album. The new one. Yeah. Uh, what about Ever in a Day? That's a good one at the moment. It's quite topical for me at the moment. Let's just very Ever before you go, just yeah. quickly dive into that. Yeah. That was a very there was a tragedy that happened in Australia a few years ago. That's right. With uh, a lady by the name of Jill Marsh. She worked exactly. for the, Worked for the ABC. Yep. yep. Um, once again, we were talking about bureaucracy and how mm. it sometimes gets in the way. Mm. The liberal leftists would have been too nice to a certain gentleman that yep. really should have been kept close eye on. Yep. Um, do yep. you want to talk more about that, Dave? Yeah, so, so that song, Ever in a Day, is based around a poem called Funeral Blues, which was um, written uh, by the uh, Welsh poet W.H. Auden. In, again, actually, in 1937, same year as the guitar. And uh, you'd, you'd most people recognise the poem from the movie Four Weddings and a Funeral. Is that when the um, one of the, there was a, a, a gay couple on that, and when the guy died, his partner read it out at the funeral. And um, anyway, I'd written, I'd started writing a song or putting that to music um, uh, around the story of Jill Maher, as you mentioned, who was this young Irish girl who was murdered in. Brunswick in Melbourne several years ago by a guy who'd been in and out of prison. I believe he'd had already 11 convictions for violent assaults against women. And to get convicted that many times, that tells you how many times he must have actually done it, you know, because you don't get convicted. Yeah, so he was a, not only a repeat offender, yeah. but he had serious issues. Yeah, yeah, he'd been in and out of prison. Recently been released on parole when he attacked and murdered Jill Maher. And, um, and then he was sentenced, I think, to the longest non-parole period in 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 Victoria for a long, long time. I think it was about 38 years. And in his own sentencing, you know, hearing, he, he, he made a statement and said, please, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got a disease, I can't control this, I should be locked away forever for the protection of society. And I heard her husband on the radio, Jill Maher's husband on the radio, um, talk about it, you know, saying, well, it's a terrible thing, but at least this guy has admitted it. He's, he, he's now gonna be shut away forever. At least justice has been served and, and I can rest easy knowing that at least no one else is going to suffer this fate. And he was trying to make the best of it, you know. And then six months later I heard him on the radio again, this time furious because this guy um, had now appealed his sentence, in fact, and was now saying, no, in fact, I do want, I want to get out. I'm going to be you know, rehabilitated and so on. 
I think I'm detecting bipolar disorder there. Straight I don't away. know. Something's going on. Straight but, away. But he... Yeah, and, and so there was outrage and he was unsuccessful in his, in his attempt, thankfully. But it then led me to think, you know, in fact, living in a small town here on the edge of the planet, only a million people, I've actually known three women affected by serial killers in Perth uh, growing up in my wow. short time here. Um, and one of those I recently got into contact again with, um, a girl called Kate Moyer, who went, she was a year below me at, at school. And... You know, people from Perth would know about a couple called the Burnies who, um, in the uh, early 80s, in a very short period of time, over about a five-week period, abducted five women and murdered four of them. Uh, and really, really nasty thing. And Kate was the fifth victim to be abducted by them and she was held captive for a day or two, but managed to escape. And and bring the police back to the, lead the police back to them, and the result was they were convicted. Kate has recently come out publicly after you know surviving this terrible thing, you know now more th- thirty years ago, um, campaigning uh, for a reform of the parole laws, laws in WA because, as it stands now, Catherine Burney, who was the woman involved in this crime, the husband hung himself in jail, but some time ago but Catherine Burney's still in jail she's got life without parole but well technically but every three years in fact whether she requests it or not she comes up for a discussion about parole and the victims and their families and Kate Moyer the surviving victim are notified that this is happening it ends up on the front page of the paper again these names are all brought up again and she has to relive this whole trial and can, can never put it behind her you know because every three years it comes up she's got kids and friends and oh this is you you know yeah and the question is why do we need to do this it's a bloody disgrace and why do we do it because there's some bullshit legislation that says these people have got the right to this you know never mind the rights of the victims but this the right of these perpetrators anyway so it all came together and this wouldn't happen happen in texas yeah no it wouldn't (laughs) so the song the song is about that that's the bake the background to it. it it incorporates this beautiful poem and when i when i first put the poem to music i thought oh I don't really know about how kosher that is, putting a poem, someone else's poem to music. I'd added my own verses and things, but... Um, so the chorus is like a song, She Was Gone, yeah. Darkness, Darkness Came, came to, to stay. stay. I thought we would be to, together forever and forever a day. Forever and a day. So that was in the poem? No, that's not in the poem. You wrote that? Yeah. For me, that's the strongest yeah. line in that. And in fact, well, the, one of my disappointments, in fact, I'm, I don't know if we talked about it, but I'm going to record another album this year and, and I'm going to re-record that song. Uh, because one of the few things I regret about the album and in the production process is that we left out the bridge section from that song that I'd written, yep. which um, makes it is much more explicit about what the song's about. You know, there's a, there's a line. Um, I'll not. Would wait you prefer if I ripped the MP3 from the video and, yeah. and maybe use that? Yeah, I think so. Now that I've told I'll the do story, that. yeah. Uh, that How about I do that? Because I love what Angus does on the snare yeah, exactly. there as well. That's and I want to record it that way. Yep. And and probably the one thing since the show that we've added too is I played this at a at a songwriters night recently, and there was a guest artist there, um, Dave, forget his surname, guy from Canberra, fantastic fiddle player. He was like a guest guy just jamming along with people, improvising over people's songs. And I got to the sort of middle eight of that song, and he just let rip on this violin, and it, I nearly stopped playing. And you know, I wanted to just stop and turn and look at him and absorb what he was was bloody incredible this thing he did 
And um, so then the next time I played this song at the Ellington a few weeks ago at another songwriter's night, I got Bobby Webster from the Perth Symphony Orchestra to play viola on it and do what this guy did. And it was, it's amazing. So, and as you mentioned, Angus, our drummer, is an incredibly innovative percussionist and does some amazing things on the song. So I'm going to re-record the song with that full version of it, I think, um, later I, this year. I always wonder if we'll ever develop a technique in neurological science that can actually go in and detect if these traits are going to be prevalent in people at an early age. Yeah. Things like rape and, and yeah, things yeah. like that. Yeah, I think so. Well, if there's a way that we can go in and remove a section... I can almost guarantee. Well, I don't know if you can fix which it. Which will stop. Yeah, maybe, hopefully. I mean, is there a part of the brain that's affected that causes that? Like, it's a, it's something for the neurological scientists to be able to... That they'd have more of a handle on it than we'd ever guess, I guess, but... Uh, well, it'd be fascinating. I don't know if anyone's done it, but is to take a guy like that, David Burney, and go and interview the people who taught him in kindergarten. What did you think? Did he... Yeah, was there, was there was something it, wrong with him then? Did you notice? Well, they often find with with a lot of serial killers, they they have particular patterns. Yeah, and they'll start off by uh, one being quite uh, disenfranchised from other mm. people. Mm. That's obviously the first sign. Mm. The second sign is that they'll begin on small animals. Mm. So, so for example, frogs. Yeah, catching tadpoles and pulling things. tails off. Yeah, just little things like that. Which and they find that. Gratifying in it's a, in a way, cruelty in them. That, yeah, there, there is that cruelty in them, and then as they get older, they become very. If they're in relationships, they tend to become very possessive in yeah. those relationships. Yeah. Um, in general, general life and, and being within the wider community, they tend to be very. Um, they they tend to deflect blame as opposed to accepting yeah. uh, blame, and also. And with work, they tend never to hold jobs all that often simply yeah. because they can't accept authority. Yeah, right. So there are, there are certain things that they Trades, have found yeah, yeah. And, and that um, a lot of people have been putting together over the years yeah. and come up to this general conclusion that yeah. there are certain traits that do give away. But then again, there's also those traits that also tick those boxes in a lot of people that then don't become a serial yeah. killer. So things might make you successful on the other hand. <laughs> yeah, so I guess then it boils down to circumstance. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he met Catherine Burney as yeah. well and she supported those. And enabled it, yeah. And then you look at Fred and Marjorie West over mm. in the UK. Same um, It was Marjorie actually that kind of spurred all this on. Mm. Uh, yeah, and we talk about being yeah. six degrees of separation away yeah. from this ourselves. I actually worked with Catherine Knight right. um, over in New South Wales at, at an abattoir, mm. and she was the one that went on to, you know, behead that fellow over in New South Wales mm. and feed feed him to the kids, mm. um, which I think they're making a movie on at the moment. <laughs> so, it's it's the one thing about Australia is you're never too far removed from anything that goes on here. Oh, well, like I say, for me to know three girls who've been affected by serial killers is just bizarre. Oh, it's just crazy, know, isn't it? And what a sad story that was with Jill Mayer. Like, beautiful oh, girl, world of defeat, terrible. taken away. And this guy knew the way he was. And, and the yeah. saddest thing and the biggest tragedy I find is, you bang on, is the fact that the government 11 times convictions. It's happened in Perth two weeks ago. There's a guy. He's out. He's a serial offender. Got out on parole. Bang, straight away raped someone. And he's, they've picked him up again and they're charging him with breaching his parole conditions. And the breaches he's committed are, you know, leaving his house getting drunk and raping someone. 
So I'm a big, but fa- I'm a big fan. Of, just listed alongside leaving his house. As I'm a, a big fan of. I think I think there should be legislation for chemical castration on yeah. on on these people. Yeah. Straight away, bang. Once a fancy yeah, learn from it. Second offence, chemical castration. Like crime. Go to jail. Don't come out. It's for society's protection. I think you give away your rights to be part of society, and society yeah. needs protecting from you. That's I don't it. want to say too much on the podcast, but I'm, I'm, I've got even harsher ideas than that. And yeah, I'm sure. I just think with, with the amount of people on the planet, we don't really need the worst. No, no <laughs> we I, don't need them. I actually agree with you, but I think there is a place. But um, you know, this this political correctness that's leading us to deny all the things, not just these these things, but all the things that we need to do to survive. You know, Dave, we're going to have another podcast, mate. We've got, we've got to continue from right at this point. I think we could we could really dive into it and we're sober get and out, straight, sober and straight, and both get ourselves into a lot of trouble. But I, I will let you go, mate. I know you, 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 you lead a very busy life, and That's I don't want right. to be the, the cause of any issues with no, your work right. tomorrow. Dave, thanks very much, mate. Great we will pick this up again. Good. There will be another time you're in, and I'd love for you to come back and, yeah. and continue on with this. Okay. Next time we'll have a beer and a bit of a sing-song. Mm. So uh, to take it out, folks, this is Dave Mercy. We're going to extract um, the song from the uh, from the DVD, and uh, here it is to take it away, Dave Mercy, and the song is... Ever End a Day.
Sunday rest My noon, my midnight My talk, my song I thought love would last forever podcast you've been listening to it once again thanks for tuning in remember rock garage brings you everything you need to know when it comes as far as filming uh we also have recording here and of course some great rehearsal rooms so get yourself down to the rock garage unit 4 24 mercer lane joondala <laughs> that's the right address and uh come on down talk to kenneka in the office and she'll sort you out and make sure that you have a great rehearsal and a great time dave mercy thank you my man thank you we are <laughs> 